Welcome to the place where people of faith find real answers. We believe women deserve more than just religious band-aids for their most difficult and destructive relationships. And now for today's episode of Relationship Truth Unfiltered. How long do you keep trying? And how do you know when a relationship is dead? Leslie recently conducted a workshop on this very topic. This episode is a very special audio version of that workshop, where she will answer those questions and others pertaining to destructive relationships and rebuilding safety and trust. The most question I get asked all the time from Christian women who are in destructive marriages is this one. How long, Leslie? How long do I keep trying? I am so tired. I'm exhausted. I'm angry. I'm discouraged. I feel uncertain of hope and suspicious of any change, real change, because how will I know? How will I know for sure? But most of all, I'm scared because if I give up, will I be disappointing God? Will I ruin my children's life? Giving up on what God wants for us? Now, just in case you have no idea who I am, let me just introduce myself. I was a licensed clinical social worker for over 40 years in the state of Eastern Pennsylvania, or the state of Pennsylvania. I had a private counseling practice in Eastern Pennsylvania, and I worked primarily with Christian couples in destructive and abusive marriages. That's why I'm going to tell you marriage counseling doesn't work. I didn't do that for the full 40 years, but I realized it wasn't working. Today, I'm a relationship coach. I moved to Phoenix. I've authored seven books, including the best-selling books, How to Act Right When Your Spouse Acts Wrong, The Emotionally Destructive Relationship, as well as The Emotionally Destructive Marriage. I've had the opportunity to speak nationally and internationally all over the world on relationships and abuse. I received the American Association of Christian Counselors Caregiver Award. I've been a featured guest on Focus on the Family, Family Life Today, Moody Radio. And if you're in a divorce situation, you may have seen my face on the divorce care curriculum because I teach in that as well. I want you to know up front, though, I have a very high view of marriage, meaning I believe in the sanctity of marriage and that marriage to be a picture of Christ and his church which, by the way, is portrayed by a loving relationship, not an abusive or destructive one. I also have a high view of scripture, meaning I believe that the Bible is God's word and has the words of life for us. So let me tell you exactly what we're going to cover in the next 45 minutes. I'm going to briefly review what is a destructive marriage and what are the foundational elements for any relationship to thrive. I also want to show you where trust gets broken, and I will give you the roadmap to rebuild that broken trust to see if it's possible. I'm going to give you three specific patterns to look for, to know whether or not your husband's actions are on the road to real change and what you need to do to get your own self healthy and strong, even if your husband doesn't change, as well as specific biblical steps to move forward after today's workshop. So first, it's important for you to understand that there is no relationship ever in anybody's life without some bumps, without some sin, without some suffering, because there is no perfect wife. There is no perfect husband. There is no perfect parent, no perfect child, no perfect friend. We all sin in some ways or not. That's all true. But let me briefly remind you about the difference between an abusive relationship and a normal imperfect relationship, because so many people helpers confuse a destructive marriage with a disappointing marriage or a difficult marriage, but they're not the same. A difficult marriage is one in where there's a lot of our little outside stressors, immaturity, personality differences. All of us, when we get married, are gonna experience some difficulties, sometimes short time, sometimes for a long time, and you'll go through seasons of difficult, but difficult doesn't have to become destructive. If during difficult, both of you are willing to learn from difficult and grow through difficult and learn to be more mature, in difficult, 
being humble and learning what you need to learn, be gracious and forgiving one another in difficult. Disappointing means nobody gets all 52 cards in the deck when you get married. What I mean by that is sometimes the person you dated put all their energy, maybe it was you, put all their energy into being what the other person wanted. But in real life, you can't sustain it, not so much. So perhaps you thought he was really romantic, but not so much. Or you thought he was ambitious and had strong goals, but now he doesn't. Or he's not handy like your dad and he can't fix things like your dad used to. Or he doesn't like to have deep conversations. Now these are not serious sins, but they may make your marriage feel a little boring or lonely, aggravating, or less exciting than you hoped for. Part of growing up and maturing through marriage and family life is to learn to love the person you married and not the person you thought you married. I've been married 46 years. All marriages contain some disappointment and some difficult. However, destructive marriages go beyond disappointing and difficult because a destructive marriage violates your God-given dignity and your freedom to be who God called you to be, to think your own thoughts, to feel your own feelings, to have your own voice, because a destructive marriage undermines your confidence, your self-worth, your self-esteem, and systematically degrades, diminishes, and can eventually destroy the person that God intended you to be. Remember, it's important that you realize that an abusive marriage or a destructive marriage is not about hitting. It's not about out of control anger. That's why the answer is yes. If he doesn't hit you, it still can be an abusive marriage because an abusive relationship is not about anger or hitting. It's about power and control. An abusive person wants control. And in an abusive marriage, there's a gross imbalance of power and control. And it's also accompanied with an attitude of entitlement. I deserve to treat you this way, or you deserve to be treated this way because I'm the head of this home. Christians, including well-meaning people helpers, often don't catch these imbalances of power and control in the relationship. And this is often because of their conservative Christian beliefs about what they think the Bible teaches about the role of a husband and a wife, about headship and submission. But think with me for just a minute. Does biblical headship really mean that an adult woman who gets married is now demoted to the status of a child or even a slave who can't or shouldn't think for herself, who has to ask her husband's permission if she can visit her parents, if she can attend a woman's retreat, if she can go back to school or back to work or spend family money on things that she thinks are important? Does headship and submission mean a wife or a woman is not an equal partner? is to behave more like a child or a slave and has unquestioning obedience to her master husband. Now we could spend the whole workshop just on this subject alone. And I've already told you, I have a high regard for what the Bible says, but let me assure you of this. I have read the Bible through many times and the Bible never ever says that headship, biblical headship, biblical leadership means a husband gets to have his way all the time, make every decision or order you as a wife around. That has another biblical term. It's called the oppressor. It's called selfishness. It's never called biblical headship or leadership or authority. Jesus himself in the New Testament made it crystal clear to his disciples who were going to be the head over his church, that if they wanted to be the head and use their power as he intended it, that it was their responsibility to wash one another's feet, to serve first, that's the definition of headship. 
you get to serve first, not bully someone to get your own way. So here are some strategies a man might use to gain power and control over a wife. Physical power works, doesn't it? If he scares you or threatens you or threatens to harm someone you love, you do what someone wants, don't you? They usually get their way, right? For sure. But power and control over someone usually has to be gained in other ways as well. Men who use physical power also know it's not sufficient to gain total control over you. They must also manipulate your mind and your will in order to gain that control. Plus, most men, at least in the United States, know that they can be arrested if they physically harm you. And so often, a husband will use other means, less obvious, to control you. For example, verbal and emotional. Sometimes it's abuse, sometimes it's more covert, but it's still used to undermine your confidence and control you. God's word is crystal clear about the long-term negative effects on a person's soul, spirit, and body when they are verbally battered. Emotional abuse is real, and it is in the Bible. And the Bible warns all of us, both in the Old Testament throughout the book of Proverbs, as well as in the New Testament, especially in the book of James, Colossians, and Ephesians, not to use our tongue as a weapon to hurt another person. In Proverbs, the Bible says, a crushed spirit cannot bear it. Crushed spirit, spirit, who can bear it? Another way someone gains power over someone is sexual. Abusive husband might believe that you have no right to your body. The Bible says so, right? You're my wife, therefore your body's my own, misusing the familiar 1 Corinthians 7 passage. And if you refuse his sexual demands, it often can lead to more physical abuse or other kinds of abuse or threats of abuse to you or even to your children. What about economic abuse? Someone has a lot of control and power over someone else when they control all the financial stuff in the family. So how do they do that? They withhold money, they hide money. They don't treat you as an equal partner in the care and stewardship of your money or even having equal access to the money. You're not allowed to make financial decisions with joint marital assets. And when someone does that against you, it's an abuse of power, financial power. And last but not least, what about spiritual power? What better way for a husband to control a Christian woman than to use the Bible to manipulate her into doing what he tells her to do? under the guise that I'm your authority, I'm your head, therefore God says you have to submit to me. What better way to cause confusion, to gain control over you as a Christian woman than to misuse and misquote biblical passages so that he can get his own way. Some women have told me over the years that spiritual abuse is the worst form of abuse because God, now God himself, becomes the bully, the oppressor, and there is no one who's on your side. No one who cares about your plight and you feel so alone. Another way to maintain control over someone is through confusion, by lying to you, humiliating you, crazy making or gaslighting conversations where you start to feel like you are losing your absolute mind. And these behaviors are quite effective at making you question your judgment, your decision-making abilities, your own perceptions, and you begin to lose confidence in yourself as a competent, strong, capable adult human being. Now, maybe you're starting to say to yourself, well, no one's perfect. I've done some of these things sometimes. When's the line crossed? Any one of us is capable of this. So it's a really good question. Here's the difference, write this down. If you are a relatively healthy person and spiritually astute, and you cross the line, even if you're not spiritually astute, and you cross the line, you say something ugly and hurtful, you lie, you cheat, you hit someone, even your child inappropriately, you know it. And if you're healthy, you own it 
You don't blame someone else for it. You don't make excuses for it. You don't put it on the other person or lie about it. And by some chance, if you're not aware of what you did that crossed the line and your partner or your child says, hey, that really hurt or that's disrespectful or don't I get a voice in here or mommy, mommy, you're scaring me. You listen if you're healthy. You pay attention and you stop it. You don't rationalize it, justify it, excuse it or blame someone else for your bad behaviors or your attitudes. And you certainly don't keep repeating them. You repent and you change them. But when these behaviors become a pattern, a regular part of your relationship, they are the norm and no responsibility is taken to change them. Instead, there's just more denial, gaslighting, blaming, rationalization and excuse making. The relationship itself becomes toxic, destructive and abusive. Remember, if you want to evaluate whether your marriage is destructive rather than just difficult or disappointing, look for the patterns where you or maybe someone you know is repeatedly dominated, deceived, dismissed, devalued, demeaned, and degraded. God did not intend marriage to be a simple legal arrangement to take care of children. God created marriage to be a blessing. He's created marriage to be a loving, safe, trusting relationship. And a healthy marriage is mutual and reciprocal. It is not a slave, master, child, parent relationship. And conflict, which is inevitable in any relationship, involves solving problems, not attacking each other. And damages, which happen in any long-term relationship. So it's like if you have a beautiful new house, there's damages eventually. Things need to be repaired. But they are repaired through mutual confession restitution, and real change. I love how the writer of Proverbs summarizes a healthy marriage when he writes, he or she trusts him or her to do him good, not harm, all the days of his life. You see, trust in a relationship creates safety, and safety in a marriage or a relationship leads to greater trust. But when safety and trust are shattered, when one spouse intentionally harms another through adultery, deceit, chronic indifference, abusive language and behaviors with coercive control, the marriage relationship as a safe, loving relationship is broken. And without a complete overhaul, it will die, even if you stay legally married. Now, traditionally, most pastors and counselors have acknowledged trust breaking down in the area of sexual infidelity. But that's not the only area where trust breaks down in a relationship or where trust needs to be repaired if the marriage relationship itself is to be restored and viable. For sure, a lack of sexual faithfulness breaks down a relationship. It ruins safety and trust in a marriage. But here are some other areas where safety and trust breaks down as well. So let me unpack these a bit for you. First, honesty and authenticity. Maybe he's never had an affair, but can you trust your husband to tell you the truth even when it's hard about the money, about where he's been, what he's done, what he thinks, what he feels? Is he the same person outside the house as he is inside the house? Or is he more Jekyll and Hyde, charming outside and cruel or withdrawn and indifferent inside the house? If so, you can't trust your husband, who he is or what he says. Therefore, you won't actually feel very safe with him because you don't know who's coming home today. Second, can you trust your spouse to care, to care about you as a person, care about your feelings, your needs, 
even your dreams, your desires, your goals? Does he give of himself and his resources to show concern about your welfare? Can you trust him to do you good, not harm all the days of your life? Maybe his abuse is more passive. I call it the sin of indifference. For example, you need help with the kids. You're not sleeping very well because you have a nursing baby, but he calls you selfish because he needs sex every night and that takes priority over your need for sleep. If you love him, you will meet his needs, he says. But what about your needs? Does he care about them? Or is the typical pattern that it's always about him and his needs and his wants, they trump. Or let's say you wanna use some family savings to go back to college, but there's really never any money for your dreams, only his. You don't trust him to do some of the most basic things of any healthy relationship, to care about you, to care about your needs or your feelings or your physical welfare. And therefore safety and trust is broken, even if he's never cheated on you. What about reliability? Can you trust him to do what he says he'll do when he promises to pick up the kids from school? Does he? Or does he forget? And if he forgets, does he blame you? Or does he show remorse and take responsibility for his forgetfulness, which might happen, and do what he needs to do to not repeat so it doesn't become a pattern? Or do you get the blame and he makes excuses over and over again? Can you trust him when he says he'll go to counseling? Can you trust him when he says he'll change? Or he'll get help, but he never actually takes any action on these promises. Can you trust him when he says he paid the bills or he paid the taxes or he put safety controls over his computer? But then you see it never happens. And when you remind him, he gets defensive and angry, telling you you're a nag, get off his back. If you can't rely on what he says, trust is broken. You can't rely on him. No trust, no safety. And last, but certainly not least, financial safety, financial trust. And this isn't about trusting him to make a lot of money. But can you trust your husband to be honest with your family resources and give you a say in what's spent and what's saved and where it's saved? Can you trust him to use family money and credit wisely so you don't find out that you're in a boatload of debt that you might not even have known about or you can't pay your monthly bills? Can you trust him to spend money for the family's welfare and not just for man toys for himself? Do you even know where the family money is? Do you know how much he earns? and you have equal access to the accounts. If not, then you are not equal partner and he controls you through money. And therefore for you, there is no financial safety, no trust, no safety, no safety, no trust. Now, safety is a basic requirement for any relationship to flourish. If you don't feel physically safe, emotionally safe, sexually safe, financially safe, or spiritually safe with someone, you can't have a conversation with that person, let alone a close relationship, even if you're married. Counselors and people helpers rarely address these other areas of broken trust and safety. Somehow, if you're a good Christian woman, you're just to close your eyes, put your brains on the shelf, ignore your body's alarm systems going off, forget about all this, and make your marriage work again because what? God hates divorce. Even when there's been a pattern where trust and safety have been repeatedly broken again and again and again. But I'm going to tell you something different. It is not possible to put a broken marriage back together again if you're not going to take the time to repair broken safety and trust. The Bible tells us not to trust certain people because they've had a pattern of being untrustworthy. For example, in Proverbs, it says, putting your confidence in an unreliable person in times of trouble is stupid. It's like chewing with a broken tooth or walking on a lame foot, it's gonna cause you more damage. 
Even Jesus didn't trust certain people because he knew them. He knew what was in their heart. And John and the writer of the book of Romans, Apostle Paul, who says love does not keep a record of wrongs, which is often thrown in our face, actually did keep a record of wrongs. He's warning Timothy. Hey, Timothy, Alexander the coppersmith did great harm to me. Watch out for him. Beware of him. Don't trust him. Does that make sense? Don't let yourself be manipulated into feeling guilty, like somehow you're a bad Christian or you're letting God down because you don't or won't trust your husband again after repeatedly betraying your trust. If he has broken your trust, he needs to prove he is trustworthy again. Love is always a gift, but trust once lost must be earned and rebuilt. So I promised you the roadmap how to repair damaged trust in your relationship. Now, I'm not going to be able to share with you in this short time together all the twists and turns in this roadmap, but I'm going to give you the basics. And the basics will help you know whether or not you're on the map. You'll know whether you're on the right road. And if you're not on this roadmap, you'll know that your marriage is not and maybe can never be repaired. So first, I want to just quickly start with what doesn't work, because you've probably tried all these things already. But if by chance your husband or your counselor or your pastor suggests that you do one of these things, say no, they don't work. They Trust me, they don't work. They do not lead to repairs. And these false starts only lead to postponement of more pain, heartache, and can actually lead to more damage. Here are the most common detours that you could take that never lead to any real healing or change in destructive patterns. First, let's start with the clean slate approach. Let's forget the past. It sounds so biblical, doesn't it? Let's just wipe the slate clean with grace and start over. Let's just forget that I hit you or that I had a sexual addiction or a secret girlfriend for the last five years. Let's just forget that I've lied to you about most things our entire marriage because I love you so much and I want us to work. So let's just wipe the slate clean and forgive and forget and start fresh. Let's not talk about the past. That's the past. Does that sound familiar to many of you here? I bet it does. If only it were that easy. I wish we could do that. I wish that would work. It doesn't work. And I want to tell you why. First, when your marriage has been in a pattern of repeated and chronic sin, the past quickly becomes the present again. And now what are you supposed to do if you're not supposed to talk about it? All of us, you too, all of us are creatures of habit. And the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. Therefore, even if you truly do you want to start with a clean slate and forgive and forget? Guess what happens? The same old habit patterns are still there and they will repeat themselves if there's not a clear plan and path to change them. Another strategy that does not work in rebuilding broken trust is superficial changes instead of doing the deeper heart work of habit change necessary for true rebuilding broken trust. So now he's sorry He's crying, he pursues you, he's nice, he's charming, he wants to help around the house, he's helping with the kids without you asking, he even takes you out to dinner, or better yet, he cooks dinner for you. He buys you flowers, he starts going to church, he promises to go to counseling, all great things. And they make you feel good and hopeful that he's repentant, that maybe he finally gets it. Please don't misunderstand, these nice things he's doing for you do feel good. And they may be genuine, but they won't repair the damage in your marriage any more than putting a fresh paint, white paint in your bedroom walls will fix the crack in your foundation where all the termites are getting in. 
It does feel better to have freshly painted bedroom walls, doesn't it? But nothing will change long-term because the problem that broke foundational damage to begin with has never been fixed. A lack of safety and trust fundamentally damages your marriage. And the problems that break trust and safety in the first place are still there, even if they're not obvious in the moment. Maybe the affair is over, but what was the entitlement thinking that led him to believe that it was okay for him to lie and cheat on you just because he could, or because he felt hurt or lonely or angry, or because as a child he was neglected or abused, or because you were preoccupied with a pregnancy or a new baby? The last strategy that I'm gonna talk about today that doesn't work that doesn't repair safety and trust is when only one person in the marriage is doing the work, meaning you as the wife are committed to change and you're doing your work. Don't get me wrong. It's a good thing for you to do your own work and it's necessary. And I'm going to talk about what that is in a minute, but you cannot fix damaged marriage, safety and trust all by yourself, no matter how much work you do. What you can do is you can make a toxic relationship less toxic as you do your own work. For example, when you're provoked and you're aggravated and you're hurt and angry, that you can learn to not react by repaying evil with evil or retaliating or acting out in sinful anger your own ways so that you don't add more toxic mess to this toxic mess. You can be a good example in front of your destructive spouse and your children by doing your own work, but you cannot make a bad marriage, a good marriage that has safety and trust all by yourself. The reason you can't fix this marriage by marriage counseling is the bottom line is patterns of abuse and addictions and adultery and deceit are not marriage problems. They cause marriage problems for sure because they break safety and trust. But marriage counseling is not the best option for help at this point because the person, until the person who broke safety and trust to begin with, until they own it and take responsibility for it and understand the impact that that broken trust has had on you and your children and the broken trust that he caused, nothing else can change because the root problem is never addressed because the root problem in your marriage right now is not the lack of safety and trust. That's the consequences of the root problem. The root is the chronic selfish and destructive behaviors and attitudes that your husband has that broke trust and safety to begin with. And that is his problem to work on. It's an individual character and personal sin issue that causes marriage problems for sure. But unless and until he owns his own individual issues and they are confessed, addressed and changed, it's impossible to rebuild trust. Therefore, marriage counseling might be a great step after your husband does his own work to understand and take responsibility for what he's done to break trust, but not until that point. So what is the road forward? Remember, I promised you a roadmap, and so I'm going to give you one. There are two tracks that must eventually come together that create the possibility of healed and restored marriages. First, the first track is you must be able to rebuild a basic level of emotional and physical safety in your relationship because you can't work on anything you need to work on. You can't talk about anything if you don't feel safe, right? And so if you can't share your heart and talk about what needs to change without him having a fit or blowing up or using the Bible or withdrawing and shutting down and giving you the silent treatment, then you have to work on rebuilding that basic level of safety. If you're not free to disagree and voice your own opinion and say no, 
without feeling guilty or scared, then you both have some wrong thinking that needs to be addressed. And so you need to do some individual work. And so the second path that must be worked on for both of you, the betrayed and the betrayer, is restoring your own mindset, restoring sanity. The Bible tells us in Romans that we're to be changed or we start changing by the renewing of our mindset. And God's word also tells us that all of us, not just your destructive husband, but you too, we all lie to ourselves. And we need to begin to see that and address our thinking if we want to get healthier and change and grow. But in order to do this, we have to first recognize and admit that our thinking might be off. If your husband wants to repair broken trust in order to have a better relationship with you, his thinking must change about himself and his entitled mindset, about you as his wife, and even about marriage, because destructive individuals do not think properly or truthfully or maturely. The Bible calls it in Romans 1, a deluded mind. Now, I'm not saying destructive individuals are not intelligent. Some of them are extremely intelligent intellectually, but they're still spiritually and relationally deluded. Now, I don't have time to go into all the untrue ways that these individuals think, and there's lots of them, but I'm going to give you three big ones, three big beliefs of an entitled mindset. The first one that your husband believes, if he's destructive, is this. I'm entitled to do as I please with no accountability to you as my wife for what I do. Now, the book of Proverbs talks a lot about the thinking pattern of foolish individuals. Most people, at least at some level when they're adults, know that it's not true, that they're not entitled to do whatever they want with no accountability or consequences. For example, I bet your husband wouldn't expect to show up for work late every day not complete his tasks day after day at work and still expect a raise or a promotion. But in his relationship with you, if your relationship is destructive, this belief prevails. I'm entitled to do as I please with no accountability for what I do. I shouldn't have to explain to you or answer for my actions and you shouldn't ask. So how will you know if your husband believes this lie or still believes this lie after a confession? Well, pay attention to what happens when you question him or you challenge him or you give him feedback, or question his actions. If he believes this lie, you will be silenced, controlled by his anger, by his sarcasm, by his rolling of his eyes, deceit, belittling and mocking tones, perhaps even his spiritual sounding words to shut you up, or maybe just his withdrawal, shutdown, and silent treatment. In other words, if you challenge his behavior and hold him accountable, you are punished. You are punished. If you're trying to hold him accountable for the harm and heartache that he's caused you and your kids, you are punished. Why do you have to keep bringing this up? What's wrong with you? Can't you just forgive? It's all about you, not about him. Belief number two, I'm entitled to the benefits and privileges of marriage, including your warmth and affection, including sex, with no responsibility for the way I behave or treated you. It's really your fault that I acted that way. He also believes that your feelings are not as important as his feelings and your needs are less important than his needs. He thinks and he may say, you're my wife, meaning I'm entitled to have what I want, regardless of how you feel or what I've done to you. And if you don't or won't, there'll be some price for you to pay. Now, you'll know he believes this lie because of how he acts when you ask for mutuality and reciprocity and the freedom to give feedback and say no. Well, then you're criticized and you're silenced. There is no conversation about what you need or what he's done to hurt you. He deflects, he minimizes, he attacks. 
Why are you always bringing this up? Why can't you forgive? What's wrong with you? You're the problem because you won't forgive and let it go. Sound familiar? Belief number three, an entitled mindset believes when I mess up or make a mistake, let it go. There should be no negative consequences, especially if I said I'm sorry, even if I do the same thing over and over and over again. You just need to forgive and forget. Remember, Jesus says 70 times seven. And if you, as his wife, start to challenge this thinking with new boundaries, or you implement some negative consequences, like you separate from him, or you have a separate bank account because of his irresponsibility, now he'll start to accuse you of controlling him, of abusing him, of harming him. He says, well, now I can't trust you. Now you're controlling me. In other words, if you get strong and don't allow him to control or manipulate you any longer, now you become the bad person, the hard-hearted one, the one who's unforgiving and even called abusive. Originally, he harmed you by lying and cheating or abusing, but now somehow he's flipped it all around and you hurt him by saying, that's not okay with me and I'm not gonna put up with it. And he responds to your boundaries with, see, you're being abusive too. And this is where a Christian woman can start to get confused in her own mind and start to feel a little scared because maybe in some ways you are reacting in ugly ways to what's happening. And you start to wonder, is he right? Am I harming him by these boundaries and my consequences? Maybe my boundaries aren't biblical. Maybe I am being mean and vindictive. What is true here? And confusion starts to reign. How many of you identify? Yeah, me too, me too. Perhaps you've believed some lies, like God will be angry or disappointed with you if you told the truth about what was going on, or you took a stand against your spouse's attitudes and actions toward you and the kids, that somehow that would make you disloyal and a bad wife or even a bad Christian. Or that staying married is more important to God than you and your children's safety and emotional, physical, financial well-being. And that to be a good, godly wife means that you're just to stay silent, protect your husband's good name, and suffer quietly for Jesus simply by dying to yourself. Or a myriad of other beliefs that you tell yourself or that he tells himself that contribute to the crazy, insecure feelings inside of you and the destructive dynamics in your marriage. But if your marriage is to really be a picture of Jesus and his bride, what are we describing here? Does a marriage relationship that's broken and scary, full of empty promises or abusive attitudes and actions, deceptions, degrading comments, does that marriage glorify God just because a woman silently endures? Is that the picture of Christ in the church? Not in my Bible, nor in yours or his. So the question that you have to ask yourself right now, is God asking you to lie and pretend, to keep up appearances, or the image of a good marriage when it's all whitewash. Underneath, it's full of dead man's bones. Does this glorify God? No. Does this even help your husband? Not really. Or you? No. Or your marriage? No. Or your kids? Stop and think about it. Is that the picture God portrays of marriage or his church? You see, friend, your role as a biblical helpmate for your husband is not to prop him up, just to enable him to continue to sin and break your spirit and heart. Your role as a biblical helpmate is much more risky and redemptive than that. And that's where you're need to, gonna need to do your own work to get strong and healthy so that you are clear and become brave, so that you're confident that speaking up in love and speaking out against abuse and oppression and sin, standing up for your marriage and God's plan for marriage is not being disrespectful or ungodly. You see, safety and sanity truth and clear thinking go together. 
Without safety, there's no trust in a relationship. Without sanity or truth, clear thinking, there's no safety because you can't trust who this person is or what he says or what he does. Now that doesn't mean you don't love him, but unconditional love does not entitle someone to unconditional relationship. Jesus tells us to love our enemy, but that doesn't mean you trust your enemy or feel safe with your enemy. You don't, you can't precisely because he's harmed you. That's why he's called your enemy. Matthew 18, Jesus says this in this way. When your brother or sister, this is a person you're in a relationship with, seriously sins against you, you have this close relationship with someone, go have a talk with them, trusting that the person will hear you, humble themselves, and work to rebuild broken trust and safety. However, Jesus is quite realistic here. He says if he refuses to listen, what do you do? Escalate the matter with witnesses if possible. But if you've done all you can do to help someone see what they have done that brought harm to you and the relationship, then what? What do you do? Jesus tells you the relationship changes. Treat him as you would a pagan, a tax collector. What does that mean? It means there's not safety and trust in the relationship. All Jews in Jesus's day understood what Jesus meant. Pagans and tax collectors, especially corrupt tax collectors, were not to be trusted. Marriage is not an unconditional relationship. No matter what your husband does, no matter how he treats you, you should just stay silent and be in a relationship with that person. Now, you may choose to stay legally married, even living in the same house for a lot of good reasons, some of them good reasons and some of them not so good reasons, but you cannot be in a healthy relationship with a believer or an unbeliever if there is no trust or safety because God did not hardwire you that way, nor does he even do it himself. Jesus didn't have relationships with everyone, did he? He loved everyone. It says God so loved the world, but he didn't have close fellowship with everybody, not with Judas not with the Pharisees, because in the Bible, it says sin separates us from God and sin also separates us from one another. God loves us, but when we're not willing to confess that sin and own that sin and repent of that sin, we don't have a close relationship with God. So why would he expect his people to do different? Now, it's important that you understand what true biblical repentance is and what it isn't, because it's not tears. It's not saying, I'm sorry. It's not making verbal promises to change because words don't necessarily lead to changed behaviors. Words are easy to say, even when sincerely uttered, but consistently changed behaviors, not so easy. But John the Baptist said it best when he said, prove by the way that you live, that you've repented of your sin and turned to God. So what does that look like in a relationship that's broken? It looks like making amends rather than expecting amnesty. Forgiveness does not automatically mean no consequences and you're entitled to instant reconciliation. I was talking about this with a group of pastors just recently. And I said, because pastors tend to think that way with, with marriage, especially. And I said, hey, if someone crashed into your car in the parking lot and they jumped out of your car and said, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, forgive me. I was texting, I wasn't paying attention, but I'm so glad you're the pastor because love co covers a multitude of sins and love keeps no record of wrongs. And I know you're gonna forgive me. So thanks so much for forgiving me. Have a great day and drives off. Is that repentance? It's nice sounding words. It's in the Bible, but it's not repentance. If you crash into someone's car and you're sorry, you make amends and you care about the damage you caused. You don't expect forgiveness to take away the consequences. And so Zacchaeus, when he came to Christ in Luke 19, the tax collector, the corrupt tax collector made amends to those he cheated. No one had to tell him to do it. It was in his heart to do. He was willing to take ownership for the pain and the damage that he caused. And a person has to be willing to do that, willing to be accountable for the damage they've caused and willing to do the necessary work and grateful for the chance to do it rather than expecting or demanding amnesty or instant forgiveness 
or automatic restoration of full marital privileges. So what are some of the evidences that you want to look for of a change of heart? As a result of repentance, what do we want to see? You want to see some humility instead of entitlement and pride. What does that look like? It looks like he is humble. He realizes I've made mistakes. I don't know it all. I need help and support, accountability. Now be careful, don't confuse humility with shame and feeling sorry for himself. He wants to be a different person. He's humble enough to get the help to do it. There's a willingness instead of a willfulness. That means he's willing to listen to others, including you, to receive guidance, instruction, and help rather than being stubborn, rebellious, resistant, and entitled. And he's grateful for the chance to do it instead of resentful or forced to do something he has no heart to do. Don't force him into counseling. That's not going to help him. He has to want to change. In the Bible, when the prodigal son returned home after years of wild living, he had no expectation of being given the status of a son again. He said to his father, I don't deserve to be a son. Just hire me on as a servant. When your husband believes and tells you he's entitled to your forgiveness, entitled to your trust, entitled to full restoration of marital privileges based on his words alone, run, run. This is a huge red flag, a warning for you that this thinking hasn't changed. The heart hasn't changed. Whatever he's saying isn't going to happen. His mindset hasn't changed. He still has those beliefs we talked about, that he's entitled to sin and act out and hurt others with no relational fallout or consequences. It's on you to forgive him and make it right again. Remember, this is hard work, and it takes time, effort, support, and help from other godly men. Even when he seems sincere in his words, there's a big difference between what he would like to do and what he would like to be and what he's willing to do to become it. A wise man once said this, a persuaded mind and even a well-intentioned heart is still a long way from exact and faithful practice. Words are not the same as changed actions. And so repeated breaks in marital trust require personal work before marital work can be successful. For trust and safety rebuilt, you have to agree that rebuilding safety trust comes first even if there was no physical abuse. Because if you don't feel safe, because in the past he's misused his tongue or his temper or his money or the Bible or his hands or his fists, or threatens to harm you or scare you or silence you, how could you possibly be able to safely discuss other areas of broken trust? In addition, if you don't trust your husband because you've seen time and time and time and time he doesn't really care about you, he doesn't care how you think or what you feel, he doesn't tell you the truth about what he thinks or feels or does, or you can't rely on him, he's consistently financially irresponsible, you cannot have a close relationship with him until he begins to address these issues himself and is willing to work on rebuilding your broken trust. Because you can't even have a conversation about these things if you don't feel safe to do so, because he gets defensive, shut down, argumentative, or furious. So here are some questions you can ask yourself over time to see if you see evidence of real change of safety trust being maintained. Can I trust you that you will not harm me when you get angry, hurt, frustrated, or anxious? Not with your words, not with your actions, not with our money. Can I trust that you've learned how to manage your own negative emotions, even when you're disappointed in me, even when I don't do what you want me to do, even when I say no to you, you don't punish or harm me. Is it safe for me to express my thoughts and opinions that are different than you want or like? Is it safe for me to share my needs with you without verbal, mental, spiritual, or physical bullying, threats, abuse, or withdrawal? Can I say no to you without a rage fit or a guilt trip, spiritual abuse, manipulation, or the silent treatment? If not, know this. You're still at ground zero. There is no safety trust. You cannot repair the marriage. You cannot go forward repairing any other part of your relationship 
if there is no safety. But even when there is greater safety and that is stabilized and you can talk about some things safely, then you've got some deeper layers to talk about, don't you? So here are a few more questions that you can ask once safety trust is established. Can I count on you to be the same person in public than I live with at home? Are you honest with me even when it's hard? Is he working on that, showing you that he can and that you can? Can I trust that you care about me, my needs, my feelings, my goals, as well as your own? Do you consistently show me that I matter and that you're willing to sacrifice yourself to meet my needs? I'm not just a wife, an object to use as a mom, a maid, a sex partner, a paycheck. I'm a person you love, a person who matters. Can I count on you to do what you said you'll do? And if I remind you, you're grateful for a helpmate that reminds you instead of getting angry that I insulted you, that I reminded you. So here's the litmus test. If over time you see new patterns of protecting and valuing safety, living in integrity, sharing power with you, being reliable and caring for your needs and feelings and goals as a person, then you can begin to hope that your marriage is on a better road and change is possible. Your relationship may be repairable. If not, then it doesn't matter how much fun he is, how charming he is, how much he love bombs you, what he buys you, or what he says. You still can't trust him in most basic of ways. No safety, no trust. So here's the arc of change. A, he's becoming aware and accountable for how he behaves, thinks, acts, or reacts. No more blaming, no more it's your fault. He owns it and wants to change. He wants to change because he wants to be a better man, not just because he wants to come home. R, he's starting to take responsibility for his own life, his own thoughts, his own feelings, his own growth, instead of blaming you or depending on you to fix everything for him to make it better. He understands he's got some wrong thinking that has caused him to feel entitled and selfish and irresponsible and act immaturely. And he's willing to dig deep to the process of renewing his mind and learning to handle himself in ways that are godly and mature. He makes amends where he's caused damage and harm without expecting amnesty. And he's becoming consistent in these things. He understands and accepts that when he slips and falls back into old familiar patterns, there are negative consequences. They don't go away just because he says he's sorry. And he's willing to self-correct and receive correction and accepts that some consequences may be permanent. They may never go away. No one builds new history perfectly. So what happens when he slips? You see a slip, his old pattern pops up, he's getting frustrated or he seems scary. He's not handling himself very well in the moment. What do you do? His old history has been ignoring, avoiding, denying, blaming, control. He repeats the old pattern. You're trying to get some new history going. So you wanna see two things happening. Number one, does he have self-awareness? Remember that arc of change, ARC. Does he have a self-awareness? Ooh, I'm, I'm, getting, I'm getting frustrated right now. I need to go take a break. I need, to, I need to time out. I need to go calm myself down, right? So he's aware that he's starting to repeat old patterns. You know, I didn't tell you the truth just now because I was scared. He's aware of that. He owns it. He comes forward with it, okay? That's positive. Even if he messed up, he owns it. He comes to you. He's self-aware he messed up right? He's taking responsibility to you, to others. The second thing that you're looking for though, and this is critical, the ability to give him feedback. So maybe he's not self-aware, but you're aware and you're saying to him, you know what? I don't think you were honest right now. Let's do a do-over or, Hey, I, you're scaring me right now. What you're saying is really scaring me. You're yelling and you're slipping into old history. Does he listen to you? And is he grateful for the reminder? Are you able to be his true helpmate? You see, if your husband says he wants to grow and change, he must understand the importance of feedback. Feedback gives us greater clarity and self-awareness. Just like when you step on the scale or you look in the mirror, it helps you see yourself more clearly, right? The Bible tells us that a fool is always right in their own eyes, but a wise person listens to advice. And the New Testament tells us 
exhort one another day after day, as long as called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. If you don't have the freedom to give your husband feedback, you are not building new history. You don't have safety yet. But don't be fooled because there's, there's internal character building and there's external charm. And some of us as women get hooked by the charm and we're ignoring the character. So is it real? Is it real? What does new history look like? It's not perfect, but the motivation for change is coming from his heart to become a different man, not just to avoid the consequences. He's grateful for the opportunity to rebuild trust. He doesn't feel entitled to it anymore. And he's listening, he's learning, he's receiving feedback versus being resistant and rebellious. So practice and patience with the process equals healing. But can I just have a few more minutes to give you some advice just for you? Because regardless of whether or not he does his work, you still need to do some work so that you get healthy and strong. It's true even when your marriage is on the road to repair, because one thing we know for sure is things can change when we least expect it. So a bird sitting on a tree is never afraid of the branch breaking because its trust is not on the branch, but on its own wings. Friend, if your marital branch breaks, do you have strong enough wings to fly to safety? Whether or not your husband does his own work or stays doing his own work is not anything that you can control for sure or know for sure. But for you to get stronger, you must strengthen your trust in God and your trust in yourself instead of putting your whole trust on the branch, your marriage, to hold you up and not break again. So how do you do that? It starts by stop pretending. Move out, move out of denial and into the truth. You're starting to do that because you're here. Healthy people live in truth and reality, not in wishful thinking or hopium, as we call it, pretending nothing's wrong. And I hope this workshop is helping you do that. Second, put your marriage in its proper place. Marriage is important, but it's not the most important. So you must stop being man-centered or a marriage-centered woman. God calls you to be a God-centered woman, not a husband-centered. And to do that, you need to build some internal core strength. And what that means is you're going to learn to be committed to truth and reality. You're going to be open to learning new things for yourself so that you can grow stronger and change. You're going to take responsibility for your own self, for the stewardship of your safety and your sanity. You're going to learn not to be so reactive so you can be respectful toward others without dishonoring yourself. And E, you're not going to lose the good parts of love, being empathetic and compassionate, but you're not going to continue to enable destructive behaviors to continue. After core or during core, it's also important to educate yourself like you are right now on healthy and unhealthy relationship patterns, especially from trusted people that are in alignment with your biblical values so that you can grow and become a person that God calls you to be. Even if your husband's trying to squash you, God doesn't want you to be squashed. And there's a lot of information out there on the internet right now. Some of it is good and some of it isn't so good. And sometimes information is important, but it's not easily put into practice. You know, for example, you should have boundaries, right? But you still don't know how to do it or what to do when they violate them, right? So this isn't a journey that you should take alone. So stop isolating. I'm so glad you're here. Get the support you need to do your own work. Learn to take the next right steps and let go of the outcome of your marriage. You don't know what's going to happen because you can't fix this all by yourself. So fix you. Watch and see if he's working to fix him so that you can fix your we. But if you can't fix your we, your we marriage, you're still getting strong enough to be able to handle it. 
I know you want a better marriage, but give God that outcome. Because right now, you must learn to take the next right steps forward, even if your husband won't. And so can I make one more suggestion for your next right step forward? I invite you to join our membership called Conquer. Conquer is a perfect fit for you. If you are a woman, we don't allow any men in, so sorry, then you're sick and tired of being stuck and feeling helpless and afraid. And you don't like the person you're growing into because you're becoming deformed as well in this destructive marriage. And so you're ready. You're ready to pay attention to your own growth. You're gonna take responsibility for yourself and grow your wings and become all that God has for you. You're ready to invest your time and your energy in yourself for a change instead of spending yourself trying to change him, which hasn't given you a good return so far, has it? Conquer can make it possible for you to hear from God in brand new ways. Perhaps you've already begun to hear from God in brand new ways so that you can live from a place of strength and health and not shame, guilt, desperation, depression, or anger. Conquer will make it possible for you to get stronger and more confident in godly ways so that you can stop being victimized again and again. Steer clear of manipulative games and crazy making conversations. Stop reacting in negative ways, especially in front of the kids when he's covertly abusing you, making you more vulnerable to accusations of you being the abuser, as well as his strategies of alienating your children from you. Conquer can help you gain freedom from bitterness and resentment. Our Conquer membership has three main components, which makes us very unique. First, we have amazing content, some of what you experience today. We have a huge video library that's accessible and searchable on specific topics and problems that you face in a destructive marriage. These videos are only in our Conquer membership and only available to our Conquer members. They are not on YouTube, not anywhere else on the internet. In addition, each month, one of my coaches hosts a monthly Zoom gathering for all of you to watch that video ahead of time and then put into practice the skills that you're learning so you can get healthier and you can get stronger as well start to build safe and healthy female friendships because we have found that women in destructive marriages need other women to grow strong with them so that we grow stronger together. In Conquer, we have an amazing community of mentors and like-minded women, Christian women, who are all working to become the woman that God calls them to be, even if their husband won't change. Here we value connection. Post-COVID, more than ever, women, Christian women, all women are feeling isolated and alone, but especially Christian women in destructive marriages. It's not something that you bring up to your friend in the Bible study. It's hard to talk about, it's shameful. Connection is an important value here for us. And we believe that you need to be seen, you need to be heard, and you need to be valued. So when you join Conquer, instead of getting overwhelmed with tons of information right away, which sometimes happens, you're gonna immediately begin what we call our Conquer journey. This is a beginner's six week program that will give you weekly bite-side steps to get you safer, stronger, as well as the opportunity to meet your other new Conquer sisters right away for support. Now you've already started this journey. If you look at Ground Zero Awakening, you're starting to awaken to the destruction in your marriage. When you join Conquer, you walk together with other Conquer sisters and one of our coaches week by week to get you safe, to get clarity on what the Bible really says about abuse, and we'll give you all the verses, growing your ability to feel more stable instead of confused, building that core strength, and feeling that new confidence. So your initial start with your Conquer journey is just the beginning of your work because no one changes in six weeks, and you won't either. So please don't put that pressure on yourself or on him but you will get a taste of what it feels like to change and it feels amazing. And then you're gonna get some ongoing support and information to deepen what you've learned so far so that you can maintain your momentum forward. Each month in Conquer, we provide you a teaching video from me or from one of my coaches or even from one of your own Conquer sisters. Each month, you're also invited to two Zoom calls where we do a Q&A with one of our coaches. 
and they will help answer your questions and you'll get a chance to talk with one another. And so even if you don't get your personal question answered during that 90 minute call, guess what? Because you're such a homogeneous group of Christian women and destructive marriages, your question is usually someone else's question. And so you will get a lot of support and help from these Zoom calls. All right, what's the investment? You might think it's a lot of money, but it really isn't. I've worked really hard to keep our costs low and it's $37 a month. You can quit anytime and if you are all in, you get a discount if you join for the year. And if you join for the year, you get some additional perks. You get some additional Zoom calls and other bonuses. Um, but Conquer isn't just about how do I handle my destructive husband? It's not just about figuring out what you need to do in this destructive marriage, although you'll get all that. It's also about how do you recover? How do you grow, start growing again into a healthy, godly, mature woman who has strength and dignity as her clothing and can smile at the future unafraid? Conquer is an amazing program. And if this has resonated with you and you know that you need to learn this and you want the other support from other women, join. And I also wanna give you a couple gifts. The first gift for joining Conquer is a book that's nowhere on the internet. It's a book that I wrote with an attorney called Before You Say I Don't. So if you're sitting on the fence and you're thinking, oh, I don't know if I can afford this. I'm gonna to have to hire an attorney. I, I think my marriage is over. I'm not trying anymore after this. I know he's not changing. You need this book because before you even hire an attorney, you need to know what to look for and what to ask for. There have been women who have spent thousands of dollars on attorneys and not gotten the outcome they needed because they didn't vet the attorney properly. And this book is an ebook, you'll get it right away. It's nowhere on the internet and you get it as a bonus when you join Conquer. So stop suffering in silence, reclaim your life. Our Conquer doors only open twice a year. So it's open now, it'll be open till October 7th and then we'll close again till spring. But real women, need real support. God did not wire us to do this life journey all by ourselves. Our third bonus for you is another ebook. And this is just a compilation of all of our blogs questions over the last 10 years of women in destructive marriages. We've taken the ones that have resonated with most with the readers, the most responses, and we've put them in a little book so that you can get some action steps right away about what do you do with this? What do you do with this? What do you do with this in this book? So this will come also. I have one more thing for you. For those of you who joined Conquer, we only do this every other year, but we are having a conference. So we usually have an in-person conference, but when we had to plan this, uh, COVID was rearing its ugly head and there was travel restrictions, the gas was going up. So we decided not to hold it live this year in Phoenix. We're having a virtual conference. We had a virtual conference two years ago. We're having a virtual Conquer conference. So anywhere from the world you can attend, it's November 3rd, 4th, and 5th, Thursday night, Friday, and all day Friday and half a day Saturday. And our special guest is going to be Lisa. Lisa is a friend of mine. I'm gonna go be speaking at her event in a couple of weeks and she's gonna be online with us on Thursday night and Friday morning sharing her story about her marriage and what she learned from going through this trial for her. And also she got quite a bit of spiritual abuse uh, because she should have been the godly woman who stayed no matter what. And she's gonna to talk to you about how she handled that as a very public woman going through a very ugly divorce. So you will not want to miss that. And you will get a special price to be a part of this conference. We have 500 Conquer women already signed up. We only have spots for 300 more. I would encourage you, if you are interested in our Conquer membership, and I hope you are, I hope you check us out. We can be a great help and service to your next steps forward. Thank you so much for listening to Relationship Truth Unfiltered. If you would like to join Conquer, please go to lesliebernick.com forward slash join today. As always, our prayer is that God would bless your mind, your heart, and your home.